Welcome to The Way Church. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For sermon notes, service times, and more information, check us out online at thewaychurchva.com. Now let's join Pastor Matt Rothy with this week's message. Well, Grace, mercy, and peace to all of you who are here with us this morning and watching us online or listening on podcasts. You can have a seat. I want to encourage you to open up your devices or your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. That's where we're going to be this morning. Throughout our sermon series, we are walking through every single verse of Paul's letter to the Philippians. And this morning, we are wrapping up Philippians chapter 1. Before we get started, I need to let you know that this might quite possibly be the most ridiculous sermon you've ever heard. As I was getting ready to preach this week and thinking about how I would describe Philippians chapter 1 and this sermon message to you, that's the word that I kept coming up with. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous for exactly two reasons. The first one is this. The Apostle Paul is writing a letter to the Philippian congregation and Christians here in Fredericksburg as well. And what he is going to do is say something, one statement after another, that sounds ridiculous. That makes you pause and say, wait a second, did he really just say that? And even before you get an answer, he's going to say something that sounds even more ridiculous. It's for that reason that, well, a lot of Christians and and even non-Christians don't understand what Paul's saying here this morning. For that reason, the fact that it sounds ridiculous, it seems ridiculous, well, there's a lot of Christians that that don't want to hear what Philippians chapter 1 has to say. And for that reason, there's a lot of churches that won't preach this sermon. But that's why this word needs to be preached. And and really, that's the second reason why this is really ridiculous. And that's because the message that Paul is writing to Christians in Philippi and Christians here in Fredericksburg is that it is an amazingly, wonderfully, ridiculously good message. It's a message how the cross of Jesus Christ is able to give joy, is able to give courage Well, even as you're dealing with really difficult circumstances, even as you're dealing with really difficult people, and even dealing with the difficult matter of life and death itself. That's Philippians chapter 1. That's where we're going to be this morning. As you open it up, let me just summarize where we've been in this series. What we started out talking about was Philippians chapter 1 and 2, or verses 1 and 2, just two verses. And the takeaway that I wanted you all to have with looking at just those two verses is to know this. There's a lot of background that we could give to the book of Philippians and talk about with its history. But there's one thing that you should never forget. This book, this section of the Bible is not just sacred text without any context. It is real people being written to, spoken to, preached to through the form of a letter by a real pastor. It's Paul talking to real people with real circumstances, real things going on in their life. And the reason? He wants them to have real joy. He wants them to have real eternal joy in Christ. 16 times in just four short chapters, the book of Philippians is going to use that word, is going to use the word rejoice, joy, and multiple more times 
talk about rejoicing. That's why we're calling this series Joy is because that is the content of Christ and that's the content of Paul's letter to the Philippians. We've gone through 11 verses so far. This morning, we are going through 18 verses, the rest of chapter one. So buckle up, it's gonna go kind of fast, all right? This is Philippians chapter one. We're gonna begin reading at verse 12. Paul says this, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. We'll pause there. That doesn't really sound too ridiculous at first glance, does it? But let me, let me back up and remind you what has happened to Paul. Two years ago, uh, he was almost mobbed to death by a, a mob in Jerusalem. Why? Because he preached the gospel. Instead, he was rescued from that and imprisoned in Jerusalem and almost tortured or flogged. But what Paul did was he pulled out his citizenship card that he was a citizen of the Roman Empire and he appealed to Caesar. That meant he got stuck on a boat, went across the Mediterranean Sea. And oh, by the way, while he was going there, his ship got shipwrecked and he almost died again. He got to Rome and now has spent two years in Rome waiting to go before Caesar to appeal his case to him. And he's been in chains the entire time. That has what happened to Paul. And what does he say in response to that? What's happened to me? (laughs) All these miserable circumstances? They're actually a good thing. That sounds a little ridiculous. Paul says it's actually a good thing. Why? Well, listen to this. The first thing he says is because the whole palace guard knows why I'm in chains. They know I'm locked up because of my love for Christ, because of the message of the gospel I keep preaching. The whole palace guard, this was the Praetorian guard. This was the elite soldiers who were assigned to guard the Roman emperor. Dudes who used to have no time for religion, all of a sudden are talking about Jesus to one another, are going home after guarding the Roman emperor and talking to their families, their children and their wives and their neighbors about Jesus. Paul says, what has happened to me is good. And it's really good, actually. So good, actually. I rejoice because of it, because men and women, believers who are in Rome, oh, they're, they're sharing the gospel. More of them are inspired to go out and tell people about Christ. People who used to be silent and just happy to come to church are now going home from church and talking about Christ. Why? Because I'm in change. And for this, I rejoice. Let me ask you about your circumstances. If you're here this morning, it's because none of you are in prison. And yet how much of us, how many of us, how often base our joy, base the courage that we experience in life on our circumstances. You're not imprisoned like Paul. And yet what what takes your joy? How often isn't it the fact that it's a foggy day out, that you're late for work, 
that you can't find your cell phone or your keys or someone sent you an email you don't like or you read a post online that you don't agree with? How often are those the circumstances that rob the joy that we have in Christ Jesus? But not Paul. Paul is in prison. He's got Christians who are super worried about his life. He is about to decide before the Roman Empire, the the emperor is going to decide if he's going to live or if he's going to die. But what does he do? He takes out a pen and paper and writes an enthusiastic, joy-filled, courageous letter to a group of people who say, what's going on, Paul? Is, Is there anything wrong? He says, no, I'm all good. There's no problems here. It's actually these circumstances, they're good. They're really good. You tell me, how does Paul talk like this? Where do you find the moxie to live like this? It's ridiculous. And he keeps going. There's more. This is what he says in verse 15 through 18. Paul says, It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. The Apostle Paul just got done explaining that he is in prison and it's a good thing that he's inspired some people to go and fearlessly, boldlessly, courageously share Christ with their neighbor. But Paul also says that there are some people, well, there's some people who are trying to stir up trouble for me while I'm in prison. Talk about kicking a guy while he's down, pouring salt into his wounds. Paul is in prison and people are trying to mess with him. People are trying to stir up trouble for him while he's there. Why? Well, we don't exactly know, but Paul very delicately, very evangelically says the reason they're preaching Christ, but they're doing it from from bad motives. They're doing it not to be generous, but to be envious. They're doing it not out of gratefulness for what Christ has done, but they're doing it out of selfishness. The people that Paul is writing to, they're concerned about this. Other believers are concerned about this. But how does Paul react? Who cares? (laughs) He says, who cares? He asks, is the gospel being preached? Yes? Then I'm all good, fam. No problems here. No problems at all. Christ is preached. Therefore, I will continue to rejoice all the more. Tell me this. Where does Paul get off talking like this? And let me ask you this. (laughs) We talked about your circumstances. Come on. Are there people in your life who maybe do it purposefully or maybe not even purposefully, but they maybe seem to stir up trouble for you? How often do we allow people, people to come and rob us of our joy? Oh, we call it maybe personality conflicts or, or maybe we call it personality differences. But how often do we allow petty differences from people to take our joy? 
We open up our hearts to them and allow them to come in. And what do we do? We allow selfish ambitions, personally selfish reasons to be the reason why our joy in Christ is gone. But not Paul, not Paul. No, really difficult circumstances don't crush him and really difficult people don't push his buttons. He says, who cares? As long as Christ is preached, as long as the gospel is getting out there, I'm good. Tell me this, where does Paul get that? How do you live with such a cool and calm disposition to life? It's ridiculous. And it keeps building. Paul says this in the verses that follow. He says, yes, I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body. This will mean fruitful uh, in my body, whether by life or death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. What shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Paul says, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul is in prison and his life is at stake. And he says, if I die, it's cool. If I stay alive, that's cool too. Now you tell me, who do you know in your life right now who is able to talk about and live with this kind of relationship with life and death? Who do you know like that? And yet here, here is Paul. What does he say? He says, if I'm going to go on living in the body, this will be fruitful labor for to me. If I live, this will be good. That means that fruitful things will happen in my life. The gospel will be continued to be shared with other people. And if I die, what's better by far? You know that. Being with Christ is better by far than anything this world could offer. Paul's looking at his situation with this attitude. I got nothing to lose. If I live, I keep getting to live for Christ. If I die, I get to go and be with Christ. Where does Paul get this? First, he says his circumstances don't, don't change the way he's feeling. People don't burst his joy bubble that he's experiencing. And even life and death doesn't faze me. Where do you get to live with this kind of cool detachment from everything that's going on in life? Well, Paul answers that. Paul answers that in the final verses of Philippians, but not before he says perhaps the most surprising, most ridiculous thing yet. This is what he says. He says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. 
Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Previously, Paul says, circumstances don't take away my joy and courage. People don't take away my joy and courage. Neither does life or death. And now he says what might be the most ridiculous thing yet. Did you catch it? He says this. He says, it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but to suffer for him. Y'all are sitting in church this morning, so you're like, that doesn't sound ridiculous, pastor. You just read us a Bible passage. (laughs) But break it down. Do Do you understand what Paul is saying? Well, first he says this. He says, it has been granted to you to believe in him. It has been granted to you for Christ's sake on his behalf to believe in him. That's palatable. That's something that Paul says throughout all his epistles. That's the message of all of scripture. What he's saying is that you are saved by faith. You are saved by God's love to you, given for no other reason than he is full of grace and he is full of mercy. It's your faith. It's believing. It's trusting in him that saves you. And and that's a gift. That faith is a gift to you in the same way that Christ is a gift to you. Well, so also is your faith. You didn't decide to have faith in him. You didn't choose to believe in him. You didn't say a little prayer and welcome Jesus into your heart, but faith has been granted to you. It has been granted to you on behalf of Christ to believe in him. This is Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And it's not of yourself. These, both grace and faith, are a gift of God. That's what he's saying here. This changes your life. This changes your eternal life that you have been granted faith to believe in him. But he doesn't stop there. He says, it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. And this is good. What Paul is saying is that not only has it been granted and gifted to you to believe in Jesus Christ, but it has been granted and gifted to you suffering, suffering for Christ to be like Christ in this life. And now you know that this is perhaps the most ridiculous sermon you've ever heard. He's saying that it is good. It is the cause and the source of your joy to have faith in Christ and to suffer for Christ. Are you tracking with this? What he's saying is that suffering is a gift to you. He's saying that suffering that you experience in this life, they are not consequences for God trying to avenge his wrath on you, nor are the things that you suffer in this life things that just happen by chance. You know, what Paul is saying for the Christian person who suffers for the sake of Christ Jesus, for for bearing his name, for having faith in him, it is a gift. It is a gift that it has been given to you. 
I told you this will sound ridiculous. It's, it's a paradox, if you will. It's the paradox of the cross, or really, it's the message of the cross. It's the theology of the cross. That God, listen to this, that God who is all-powerful, who can do all things to save the entire world, paradoxically enough, save the world by coming in the form of humility, in the form of a suffering servant. That's how he saved the world. So often have, people have the idea, and even Christians have the idea, that God's going to come into the world or did come into the world at exactly the right moment, and he comes into our lives at exactly the right moment, either riding in on a white stallion or flying in like Superman, and he saves us. He makes everything right, and then he makes us just like him, and he does it by giving us little capes of our own. So now we, being Christians, have the power of Christ, and we can do all of the things that God does in our lives. We can overcome bad circumstances, difficult people, and even handle situations like life and death because we are Christians. We are our own little superheroes, just like our super God. But that's wrong. <laughs> Scripture clearly lays out the facts of the truth that Christ Jesus did come into the world. He did come into the world to save you and me, but how? Well, yes, Christ Jesus buried our enemies, sin, death, and the devil, and all of their powers. But how did he save us from those things? It was through his burial. It was through his suffering on the cross. It was through his death and his powerful resurrection that we are saved, that we experience power to be free from sin, death, and the devil. That's what the message of the cross is. That's what the message of Christ is, that he suffered in this life for you. And now you, bearing the name of Jesus Christ, will suffer for him. But it will only remind you of this, that Christ Jesus has overcome the world, that Christ Jesus has freed you from all those things that you suffer now. And now what the cross does is it reorients your entire life, your entire eternity, the entire trajectory of your eternity has changed, but so is your life here. You will suffer in this world. <laughs> Newsflash. You will suffer because of difficult circumstances. You will suffer because of difficult people and just so you're aware, all of us will suffer death at some point in our life. And yet what the message of the cross does is proclaim to us clearly, boldly, courageously that Christ Jesus is Lord over sin, death, the devil, your difficult circumstances, your difficult people in your lives, and even death and life itself. And so when you are in those things and you are suffering from those things, it is proof that Christ is Lord overall, even in those things. Let me ask you this, and you can think back to your life or, or maybe just this past week. Where did you find the most joy? Where did you find the most courage? If the joy and the courage that you experience in life come about in the moments where you feel the most strong, the most magnificent, the most intelligent, the most beautiful, where's your joy and your courage in moments of suffering? 
Where is your joy? Where is your courage in moments where things are dark, things are difficult, you're in despair, and you may be feeling depressed. You may be asking yourself, where is God? Well, the reality is you you don't have an answer to that question. You don't have an answer to any other questions that you may ask. But if your joy and your courage is found in the cross of Jesus Christ, well, then you have your answer. You have your answer right there because it is in the cross that Christ brought God to us, that God reconciled us to himself in Christ Jesus. That's the message of the cross. So there is where you have your answer. There is where you see God most divine and most shine by giving his good gifts to you, his gifts of forgiveness, his gifts of blessedness, his gifts of righteousness, and yes, even his joy and his courage. But most of all, You see God being a good and perfect giver because he gave you his son. The message of Christ's cross, it gives you joy and it gives you courage even in the midst of difficult circumstances, even in the midst of dealing with difficult people and even in the midst of dealing with life and death because the message of the cross is the message of the gospel. It's the message of Christ being with you, Christ being for you. You're starting to get why why Paul was able to say what he said and live the way he lived. In college, he's still my friend, but in college, my friend Nathan, who you saw maybe on the screen on your computer doing the kids' messages during uh, our Safer at Home, he was a very good cross-country runner. He was outstanding. And I remember having a conversation with him one time about how he and the other runners could run so fast in the fifth mile, the last mile of their race as they, you know, did a 10K. How is it that they could still be moving so well and look so graceful doing it? Well, what he assured me is, by all appearances, even though um, he was looking like he was running fast and running in good form. Runners in that stage are suffering. Their legs are burning, their lungs are burning, and they are just waiting for this race to be over. What we share was oftentimes in the last mile of the race, you'll have a couple runners, maybe one, two, maybe three runners sticking close together, leading the pack. And there's a little gamesmanship going on for runners. Oftentimes a runner who's really strong and really confident in their abilities will turn to the other runners and say, hey guys, why don't we kick it up a notch this last mile? You want to kick it up with me and and stick with me as we close this out? (laughs) What do the other runners do with something like that? Well, you just see him fall further and further back because what this runner said is ridiculous. What he's saying is absolute crazy talk. Who is it that can kick it up another notch in the last in the last mile like this? Who is it that can live and run with such enthusiasm even when they're suffering? You can. Christians can do just that. In the race of life, everyone is suffering and and everyone will suffer at some point because of the world that we live in, because of the sin that we have. And yet we're saints. 
because Christ is with us. His cross is with us. And the cross of Christ means that you have joy and you have courage and a bottomless well of these resources, even in the midst of difficult circumstances with difficult people or in matters of life and death, because Christ Jesus is with you. The message of the cross is that he is with you and will not leave you. That's why you can say with Paul the exact words that he said when you find yourself in a difficult circumstance. You can say, what does it matter? What does it matter? The important thing is in that every way Christ is preached. You can say, what has happened to me right now? It's actually serving a higher purpose. It's actually serving the message of the gospel. Why? Because whether you preach a sermon or quote John 3.16 to your neighbors, the reality is that they, you might be the only Bible they ever read. They're seeing Christ in you. Christ is with us and he is illuminated by us in the way we live, in the way we handle the most difficult circumstances with joy and courage. You can say with life, you can say in death that for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You can sing this hymn, Abide With Me, the the final and, and really most beautiful stanza. Hold thou thy cross before my closing eyes. Shine through the gloom and point me to the skies. Heaven's mornings breaks and earth's faint shadows flee. In life, in death, O Lord, abide with me. This week, my family, my wife's family, we're going to get to sing that song. And the reason we're going to get to sing that is because we're going to a funeral. Over the past year and a half, you've maybe heard us pray here in worship for my wife and my sister-in-law's aunt, Ann Hoyer. She's been battling brain cancer, and this last Monday, Ann got to go home to be with her Savior in heaven. She ended her battle with cancer, and right now, she's getting to celebrate the victory that she has in Christ Jesus. It would have been Christ for her to keep on living but she has gained something far better, something far better than this life can provide because she's died and she gets to be with her savior. It's really hard. There's been many moments of tears, certainly in the last week. And there will be many more moments as as Anne is missed as an aunt, a wife, a sister, a mother, a daughter. And yet, can I boast about my family. It's actually a boast in the Lord. You know what's really cool to see during this time? They're doing this. They're doing what Anne did, and they're doing it to one another. They're holding the cross before one another's eyes. They're holding the cross of Christ Jesus before one another to provide one another, even in the midst of suffering, (laughs) with eternal joy. Courage found only in Christ Jesus. They're holding the cross of Christ before one another because there they can sing that song and they can sing it with courage because the reality is that knowing Christ and knowing the message of the cross means death can't touch you. Death can't take a hold on you. Death can't take a claim on you because Christ has you. Christ has you in his arms. You can sing that. You can live that with joy and courage cross of Christ, it means you have joy and you have courage throughout life in all circumstances because Christ is with you. And that is some ridiculously good news.
Amen.